Welcome to Smart Master Podcast. Today's guest is Charlene Higgerty, label boss, music manager, music project manager, tour manager, festival coordinator, mother and all round music legend. You're welcome. Oh, thanks, Paddy. So, Charlene, for people out there that don't know the, that uh, there is a vibration around this area that seems to draw people into the music industry. Uh, you're just from down the road in Mahara. So tell me, when you were growing up in Mahara in your young days, what was it? We were Obviously, you were into music. Mm. Uh, what music were you into and what sort of got you that wee vibe that oh, I maybe could look at this as a career in the future? Yeah, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame my mum. Um, there was always music in the house. Like, Do you want to give your mother a wee shout out of, her name? Of course, Nolene Higgerty, the love of my life. Nolene, Great strong woman. You are legend part two. Yep. Part one, she's the part one legend. <laughs> she's the original, she's the OG. She is the real deal. Um, but there was always just music in the house, Paddy. Yeah. Like, I don't remember a time when Dolly Parton wasn't blasting out when mummy was firing the hoover around the place. Do you know what, what actually? <laughs> I credit, what was the big song you sung along to? Like, well, I credit the Dolly Parton-Hoover combo for why I can fall asleep and stay sleeping anywhere. Like, background noise doesn't bother me. I think that was how my mum kind of, whenever we were kids, she would fire on the Hoover to keep us sleeping and then put on Dolly Parton for herself. <laughs> and the, the, the combo just worked. But no, Dolly was a big fixture in our house. And yeah. then Meatloaf, like, there was never... Yeah. Oh, what's, was, what's big one to get everybody going? Or the bad out of hell? I or like the... Uh, was it the ballroom dance? I just thinking about that like chorus. I don't even know the names of the songs, but like I could hum them. Let me like, sleep on it. Is that the one? No. Some, there's Is that the one with Cher? No, that was a different one. There's one with that. He's done a couple of, like he's yeah. a monster of rock music. I know, like, I know. But see, a, actually, he um, bought, brought uh, theatrics, you know mm. what I mean? And he seemed to have that, that thing, that sort of, like it was all, and uh, obviously Jim Steinman being a brilliant writer, it just seemed to click. Yeah, nope. honestly, like, I remember lots of visuals as well of, like, Meatloaf and different, like, seeing him performing as a child. Like, I, was, I grew up in the late 80s, like, so yeah. he was a big presence at that point. Yeah, and yeah. Queen as well. Like, I remember, like, just seeing Bohemian Rhapsody, the, the video, for the first time, freaking out. Like, uh -huh. it was the most terrifying thing I'd ever seen as a child. <laughs> His like, head's just appearing. Totally. Couldn't yeah. make sense of it. There was coffins <laughs> flying about the place. Just, I wasn't ready for it, but it was there. <laughs> yeah. But it's just... Like music was just all round and like, yeah. you know, we didn't go to music concerts or anything like that. You couldn't afford it. Like it was just wasn't a thing. But music was because always on the radio. Access wasn't there. Access wasn't there, Paddy. Like it was infrastructure wasn't there. Either. Totally. And like yeah. my parents wouldn't have been, you know, commuting to the Ulster Hall in Belfast. There would have yeah. been like a kind of knowledge gap there and even that that was maybe happening. And again, the affordability and also like probably the fear, I would say, fair as well of travelling to Belfast because as you say, Up I grew up in Mahara yeah. and it was safe because that's where family was and everything else outside of that was, you know, maybe a bit more fearful in the context of my mum and dad's upbringing, you know, through all but the I, troubles. Yeah, but yeah. And that's, and I understand that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, because what actually was happening there was your parents were uh, transcending down what uh, actually they had to go through. And just, you know, because sometimes you, you would hear a lot of um, stories from the cities of what it was like. But actually, it was quite uh, awkward in the rural areas as well. It was. You know, um, trying to even thumb to a local disco could have took half a day, you know, because totally. you know, it was just uh, things were happening. And this is in a small area like South Derry, like where we're from. And I suppose you're totally right there. And even though at that time, as years went by, things got more settled, 
you had to understand that that's where your parents were from. That was the time that they were in. And what would even happen there, your parents probably been going to the local clubs rather totally. than... Totally. Do you know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. That's exactly... That was their uh, their social life. So they were seeing like show bands and stuff. But obviously yeah. as a child... Which is massive in the 80s, the show huge. bands. You know, and, and they like they had a really good social life. They would have loved being around music a lot. But as yeah. I say, as a kid, I wasn't brought to that. You know, um, so I was like a teenager before I actually got to like music concerts and stuff. And yeah, and who, 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 who were you listening to? to and at that time oh no. patty this is right so like this is probably going to offend a lot of people because it was just complete pop music like the biggest box pop music you could oh my ever God. are we talking a boy band are we going to, oh, we going to stand it. up here and do a wee swip all of it like, like the spice girls arrived yeah. massive in south yeah. derry like for me it just felt like they just arrived in south derry and, and the rest of the world was unaware because they, they didn't know about the and all the rest they were massive yeah. in mahara like that's all i can say the spice yeah. girls just suddenly arrived i think it was like SMTV Live or one of, one of the Saturday morning shows. Tell the world out there, we're talking a small rural town here, right? A country aye. town, right? Oh, aye. So are we talking dressing up like them, everything? Everything. So who was your Spice Girl friends and how did you make the band together? So me and my best friend Aidan and Mark, and they yeah. lived, I lived at number seven, they lived at number 11. I remember whenever the Spice Girls played that Saturday morning, it's their first ever TV performance. I sprinted out of the house up to, <laughs> up to number 11 to go to marketing. Did you see that? Did you see that? And that was it. Like uh, it never stopped from then. Yeah. And into our like adulthood, we still buy Spice Girls tickets and love watching them on the TV. It was just, you know, that was a seed that was sown very young. Yeah. Which one were you then? Which one did you oh, become? Go and guess. What do you think? They're going to give you power spikes. No. no. <laughs> and actually... Were you, were you, were you, you were always scary, Spicey. I was. Were you scary, Spicey? Yeah. You don't have the face to look scary. Well, you're very... That's yeah. a very nice thing to uh, say. But it. I think if you talk to some people who work with me, they might be like, yeah, scary spice. And that might make a bit of sense to them. But uh -huh. like... I loved, I just loved the whole Spice Girls thing. It was such a buzz. But I, as I say, Paddy, that was my kind of, I didn't see the Spice Girls whenever they first came like about. It wasn't until I was in my twenties and they reformed that I got tickets. Uh, but I'll tell you a ridiculous story of how deeply impassioned I was about music and how none of it made sense. I was in first year, I think at school, whenever Take That broke up. And like for anyone who was a pop did you, fan. Did you have a wee moment? Was there a wee moment happening? My ma had to put me in the car oh outside the chapel in Maharaj. Did she drive you to the monks? No. She put me in the car <laughs> away from passerbys just to break the news to me. And I screamed in that uh, car and I clawed at the windows looking out uh, like how could anything. Where's Gary Barlow at? How could, how could it where's happen? Where's Robbie? What happened? It was ridiculous. But uh, anyways, pop music was a big thing. But you know what that's showing you? That, what you're saying about the Spice Girls, I suppose, even I suppose in my days, I could name certain artists from a certain era that just, you just went, wow, you know, and there's, that's that moment where music uh, and uh, the whole atmosphere of music and the visuals of it capture you and, and there's nothing wrong to that, to you at that time, they were huge. And that was an era, I suppose, where the boy bands were you, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm sure around Mahara was there a few Robbie Williamses floating around oh, in the day. Of course, everybody had partial eyebrows at a certain point. And well, do you know, in my days, partial eyebrows meant you could root off at a party <laughs> and you woke up and one of your eyebrows was gone. Ask your parents about that. <laughs> oh, I've, I've seen a few of those parties too. <laughs> I yep. sat beside a boy one time, right? Let's call it an aftermath, aftermath party, right? And uh, so we were sitting at the bar and, uh, you know, it's quite hard to keep a straight face when you're looking at somebody and they've just been catangled. You know, they've just cut their stories. <laughs> Took her eyebrow out. And he was sort of looking at me and he goes, 
uh, you're looking at me strange, Paddy. And I said, no, lad, I'm not. I'm not at all. He says, is there something wrong in my face? I says, there's nothing wrong in your face, lad. You know, it's a lovely face. And, and uh, so next thing I was sitting again and... Uh, I looked again, and when he turned around again, he'd lost half of the other. They left him half a wiper, which is no common sense, Jenny, right? Yeah. And uh, so when he went to the toilet, he obviously came out and said to me, why didn't you tell me? I says, tell you what, I've no eyebrows. <laughs> How am I going to go home to my mommy with no eyebrows? And it did look a bit oh, weird. Oh, it's ripping. It must be, uh, do you think it was just a country thing, or was it a universal thing, like cutting people's eyebrows off? I have off? no idea, but uh, I just witnessed a lot of it. Like, it, all the parties were fighting with wire, and, you know, there was a few kind of... Um, random offenders in that group in terms of taking eyebrows off people. He did it good and often. Do you, so want, to name do you want to name and change? Not naming them. Not naming well, them. Well, they know well, who they are. Do you want to give initials? They name. know who they are. You know who you are. You people that cut eyebrows off on tour with Charlene. They yeah, know who they, they are. They know who they are. And would these people have been taking eyebrows of people that were unaware that their eyebrows would have been taken off? Oh, the I sure. So the best ones <laughs> to take the eyebrows off are the ones that are sleeping and just, you know, Aye. the party's ended. <laughs> Throwing away there. Aye, just Aye. a wee memoir <laughs> for the next morning that person lives nowhere near this <laughs> this party so when you were growing up then and Mahara you were saying your interest was more musical and being inclined to musical so what was your first gig then that you would have went to would you want to like would it have been like localized gigs or was there a gig that you went to it just happened you goes now I've arrived I'm in Ulster Hall or wherever it would have been yeah so I was quite young like I was in first year and again first gig was a big pop concert it was Westlife in the Odyssey and Sometimes I don't like admitting that, but I'm totally, you know, fine with it now. Because, like, I'm... But I'm that, that was your growing up. And like, it was. You should never be ashamed of, of, of what or how you, you acted in them days for where you are now. No, at totally. The end of the day. You know, and, I, you know. and do you know what? It's just because I hold really good company and really bad company. And some <laughs> people's first gigs were like pulp. Uh, and like, you know, the Rolling Stones and whatever. <laughs> and you're like, God, that just can't be top. That's my truth. My first concert was Westlife. Yeah. And I was with my mum. And it was, we were going with her. We were her plus ones. Like uh, she was, the, it was for her. And uh, it was just like, I remember at that point though, Patty, a few things stuck with me. Like it was just the feeling. Like anybody goes to the Odyssey. Like I've brought friends to see pop concerts who don't like the main musician on stage, but yeah. they can't help but just be amazed be at all the everything that's gone on yeah. with it, you know? So the lights and all of the totally. sound and, and the atmosphere with people. Aye, so that yeah. started it. And then um, Pink was another big artist. Great like artist. I remember strong artist. adore her yeah. to this very day. And a very strong independent Incredible. Uh, lady, yeah. Yeah, and like I attribute a lot of how I feel about my capabilities to her influence. Like I go. don't feel like there's things I can't do because of gender or anything ridiculous like that. And I have to be She's honest. She's been a positive voice for you then. From yeah. the start. Like yeah. she, her, her, she first arrived in like 2001 or whatever. Yeah. So I was only a baby. Like I was only 14. Yeah. 15 at that point so it was very but you, were lo you were looking for something then you were totally. trying to you were just at that age you know that age where you're kind of um, you know you know, it's like in a male sense I can nearly grow a beard but I can't totally uh, and it's not really a beard or a thing it's just that transitional Completely. time and then so she was someone you looked up to yeah I was open yeah. to that influence and she just arrived like this most amazing like she just said the things that were important to hear to my kind of 15 year old mind and I guess at that point then that was us we were bonded and then every album after every album every tour so that that's when it really started Patty if I'm honest like at that point me and my friend Aiden 
I was 15 and we were getting the train down to Dublin to go to her gigs to queue outside the point. It was called then. It's three arena now. Right. And we were, I remember the old point. Yep. We were in that queue from like seven in the morning, Paddy. We had left Maharat like five to get down to be in the front row. It was just chasing that buzz of the live show. And I remember being in the point and watching riggers kind of up and down the trusses and just in my mind going, well, surely there's something in all of this big engine that I could do. Like, yeah. and I remember just being really kind of, but, you know, as I say, that was just the start of it. Like me and my friend Aidan had this hostel that we stayed in in Dublin. It's called Abraham House. It's still there. And I remember the man who used to always answer the phone because, you know, we didn't have mobiles then. Like, yeah. you just rang good old landline. Uh, and he knew me as Shani. You had to speak to people. Oh, I... Oh, my God, you have to speak to people. It was shocking. To, but it was part <laughs> yeah. of... Like, I look back on it now, it was almost kind of this romantic notion, but, like, he knew me as Charlene from the North. I was 15. <laughs> I was 16. We were booking into this hostel and we were just having the absolute best yeah. time, doing really yeah. quite innocent stuff, going yeah. to a gig, getting back to the hostel but safe. it's a whole... And I, and I would imagine... The whole build up to that. Totally. I mean, because uh, I do know what that's about. Because um, I remember the the first big one I went to was in uh, like I went to um, I seen Aussie and uh, uh, it was an old uh, it was an old uh, uh, what's called leisure centre mm -hmm. Maysfield. Wow! And uh, there was a pile of uh, I don't know how I would put it. Um, religious uh, minded people uh, <laughs> telling me why I shouldn't have done to see Aussie, but all I could here in my head was uh, fucking Aussie singing and the growing up with my brothers, Black Sabbath, you were saying about your parents. So yep. it was there all of a sudden, oh my God, this is a singer of this band and uh, he's in Belfast. And as you said earlier on, why I'm bringing it up is because we left uh, like in the earliest in the morning to try and actually get to Belfast on time. Okay. Uh, how did we get home? I cannot remember, but we got home. Uh, how did we get to the places that you got to Thumb to go home? I don't know, we got there too. And uh, so we got home, but it was the excitement of um, leaving a small rural town. It sparked that kind of, um, who puts these things on? <laughs> Do you know, I know what you're talking about. Completely. And then I, I suppose it takes bravery mm -hmm. then to jump from where we were, we were, where you were to, you know, as, as looking at artists, to actually doing it yourself. Yeah. And that's, I suppose, where I'll bring in Going back to first meeting yourself uh, was uh, at Peter Fleming's mm -hmm. uh, at uh, Schism. And I'm sure at the time, I know in Mahara, it was strange. You had this building and it was just right around the corner and it took up the whole the whole side of Mahara and it was Schism uh, uh, promotions, mm -hmm. I think, or, or whatever. But there's a lot we could talk about, Peter. And he's done a great lot of stuff for the music industry. So how did you go from, I suppose, wandering around Mahara mad into pink and uh, bad out of hell uh, <laughs> you know what the bad out of hell you probably um, your <sighs> mum could tell your mum could tell there was probably a time that every uh, uh, Opal Escona the Wonder Down was there playing Born in the USA or bad out of hell <laughs> and the arm out you know yep. just for people out there wondering what uh, kind of music did rural people listen to <laughs> <laughs> good music and uh, but uh, I sung out they all yep. sung and uh, so how did that begin for you? You know, so uh, what school did you go to? Uh, uh, Mahara to school, yeah. and then did you go to any like Rennie or convent or any of the rest of them? Or I so I was in St Pat's, St. Pat's at Paddy, yeah. and I was I did my GCSEs and did well at GCSEs and had to pick um, to go on for A levels. And like mm. I, I suppose to be honest, there was probably an expectation that I would go on then to university because nobody had done it in my family, and there was a hope that you know somebody would. But 
the problem for me was that the muse, the live music had such an impact that I already felt that I wanted to move off course. So, you know, academically, I was moving towards veterinary and it was, you know, all my subject choices were aligned with that. But I dropped out in lower sixth. I just decided, no, I know my heart's telling me this isn't what I want. My yeah. heart's taking me in the direction of music, which was a horror mm. for my mum. Dear lover, like it was... Yeah, well, that's just a big... Uh, I suppose um, other people are going into their, their mammies or their daddies or their mammy or they're just their daddy and mm. they're, they're saying, um, I'm going to do this. And uh, I suppose if you look back... Um, I suppose in rural areas, I can only speak on behalf of this area, and I'm sure it was the same in your homeland, mm -hmm. Mahara, there were certain uh, pathways of course, yeah. you, uh, um, you were supposed to take. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got pathways that people fell into, and but they were still kind of guided or pushed. Mm -hmm. But when you come out with something like, I'm going to do this, and they're automatically looking, and they've got no other... No other people to look at and go, oh, no references. Uh, yep. we Charlene was doing, we Patty was doing that, Tiernan was doing that, you know, there's no, and I know we're speaking to the guys now, mm -hmm. it's still the same, you know, in a way to try and commit to the creative industries as a kind of a, um, you're seen as, well, what are you doing, you know? Totally, Mummy was worried that this was a notion, a hobby, you know, all the different things, because we had nobody in our life, everybody was, you know, had traditional jobs, if you yeah. like. And they're good, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely as we say, not. It's really important that we say to people that there's nothing wrong with any traditional route, it's just that this is, and this podcast is about discovering your story, Charlene, totally. and how you came about it, you yeah. know? So, yeah, and like I, like, I love my mum and dad, and, you know, I think a hard work ethic always prevailed in our house. The only thing mm. I could assure mummy was that I wasn't, you know, that I'd thought this through, that I'd researched it to death. Because as you say, see in my careers class, I raised it with a couple of, you know, my careers teachers who oh, I'm interested in maybe moving into music. And all you're given then is a prospectus to go away and perform music if you play it yeah. and then ultimately become a teacher of it, yeah. you know. Whereas like, no, nah, that's not what I want. That's mm -hmm. not what I'm into. And at that point, because I had dial up internet in the house, I was aware that Lippa in Liverpool existed and they were offering a music business management. I was aware that there was an offering down in Bangor as well yeah. with music business as a part really, of the tech. A good course over the years too. For a, lot of, great, a lot of artists well known now have come, went through that course totally. together, you know. So I'll tell you, that's that's what twigged it for me, Paddy. I finished in uh, lower sixth, not going back. And then I joined that following September. I got a house in Belfast. So all the year above me were moving down. So I moved down with a friend of mine who lived in that year. And we How did that feel at that time? Oh, oh, unbelievable. Uh, like, I can't explain the place we lived in. We shared with rats. Like, it was horrible. It was... Was it, that rats, the rock band, or rats, rats? Act, rats, rats, oh, rats, rats. Rats, rats, rats. Sorry, my, I wasn't sure. <laughs> my dad never forget whenever he came down and he found rat poison behind oh, the cooker God. in the house. Oh, my God. Oh, he's just beside himself. Like, but sure, you couldn't tell me otherwise. <laughs> I, this was happening, you know, either way. So... I moved into Belf down to Belfast, got my own place whenever I was 17 and started attending Cirque in Bangor and just was became immersed in the world of it. Met the best people that year on my year group was Mike Mermika. There we go. And Kieran, who went on to form Mojo Fury with James. Um, who else was there? Jeff Robinson. You who, actually, you actually, mm -hmm. you you said you never had any band well. performances. No, just tell the world out there. There was one wee, wee band performance, you and, and Mojo and Kieran, wasn't it? It was, yes, it yeah. was, um, it was very short-lived, Paddy, for, uh, for everyone's benefit. But I was... Um, was it instant stardom or just, <laughs> oh, it's not for me. So this, the course I signed up to had like a performance element. And I was like, oh, I can fluff that. Just uh, give me the business module. Show uh, me what a tour manager does. Show me what a manager 
manager dolls, show me all them. So I got distinctions and all the management type stuff because that's where I knew my heart lay. And Patty, it was bad. Like, but I threw a bit of backing vocal at Mojo Fury once for a performance, and I played tambourine. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the that's the extent of my musical performance history to date. And I can stand by that. That's a promise. But. But anyways, that, that course was life changing. Genuinely, yeah. I met the best people and have friendships out of it. Like Jeff Robinson and I are still, you know, collaborators, yeah. friends first, well, just, well, you know. Just for people out there, Jeff, uh, I know way back from the day when I remember it was all, it was PR mm -hmm. and that, right? And he's still in. Oh, he's still in yeah. it. Like, and he's he's one of the best in the country. And, yeah. you know, um, he's, his clients speak for themselves. Like he's worked with Answer. He's worked with the 1975 yeah. Wolf Alice. He does all yeah. the new pagan stuff for me. Yeah, Wolf Alice up for Mercury this yeah. year as well. Now totally. Right? He yeah. does row. Um, Kit Philippa so he's just a great fella but I, I earned those kind of friendships through that course in Bangor and also then just the wide range of gigs I was now going to now just going to rewind a wee yeah. bit because I want to talk about you uh, the G sessions in the cellar bar uh, yeah. before I moved to Belfast that was the catalyst as well like being able to come down to D-Town on a Saturday night <laughs> on a white, with a wise crowd all oh the time oh yeah. my <laughs> god like I'll never forget those days they were an absolute buzz and really yeah. important for me and actually my brother Michael as well he kind of grew through those so nights they there's were pictures of you at them and just the best but I, but I think that I suppose uh for us, that was important because um, I suppose it's like a transitional thing. You were uh, down with a good self, supporting it, and then all of a sudden you were in Belfast and you were seeing that um, like there was a different scene of movements all around. We were, like I was talking to Cahar about there was different places. Nuri had gigs. So hopefully if things open up again, there will be pockets like that where people will totally. go, let's try a wee gig in this bar that's not working or let's try something that, you know, just in areas because I think... Uh, that ear, that time back down then, I suppose it helped too for us. It was about getting the bands out of the cities, totally. you know, and trying to, uh, like you were saying, um, we didn't have access. Like, I know it was hard to get home and do time, but that's the type of town it is. You look for the party after it <laughs> and hope you can get home on the Sunday. Oh, you here, know. do you know what? It was grand. We had mummy on speed dial and <laughs> me and Michael were fine. But honestly, Brilliant. Paddy, they were the best of days. Brilliant. Like, and you learned a lot of bands through going to G sessions and seeing what new bands are coming through. Yeah. And some of the bands that I still love now, like it's watch from afar. Fighting with Wire, like some of their first gigs were at, yeah, you know, in, right. in the cellar bars. Right. So it, it was really, that was really important because going, being from Mahara and having somewhere to go, like Bryson's as well was another yeah, really top yeah, spot and yeah. it's obviously not there anymore. But like all those we kind of like, you know, orbits all around this new world I was starting to find for myself was really, really exciting. But Mama was still really terrified that I'd made a bad decision. So she worked in a cafe in Mahara Main Street called Snack Shack. Yeah. And she was overheard one day talking to one of her regulars about her worries about me, actually, and going, oh, my daughter's down and she's moved to Belfast. She's going to tech and banger. Um, she's got no musical, you know, she doesn't like to play instruments and she, she can't sing, but she wants to do music. And it was Peter Fleming was in Snack Shack at that point and overheard her. There you go. And bless him. <coughs> He came up to her and he said, tell her to give me a shout. Sure, I'll chat to her and see what's going on. And as soon as she rang me, I blazed up the road in the 212, met with Peter and he offered me a start. Brilliant. And I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing, Patty, but I just knew that I'd worked so hard at whatever opportunity I was given. So the irony being, I left Mahara to get my music career started in Belfast, like uh -huh. the big smoke. <laughs> And I ended up still keeping my rental in Belfast because I had just so many good friends there and I was loving the fact I could go to gigs every night of the week. But I used to get the 212 from Belfast 
back to Mahara, I had a wee BMX bike I used to put in the boot of the 212 and I'd skate up the road to Peter's office every morning, Monday to Friday, Saturdays and Sundays where needed and that that would be it. I'd be back in Belfast in the evening for say six or seven and I'd be in the limelight at eight. That was just the life you lived. I suppose suppose we should tell um, the good people out there um, that there's, uh, I suppose, an example of uh, two things. Uh, One, uh, somebody being in the right place at the right time. Yep. And two, the people should know out there that rural people tell the whole world what's going on in their life. Yep, they do. <laughs> so it's usually over shops here. Did you hear, how's your wee one doing? Oh, sure, he's this, that, and there's not sure there's a queue of 10 people waiting in the same cross on server straight after. But that's rural life. So when you run the Peter uh, and Schism, because now, I'll, I'll, uh, from what I seen was that um, it was a promotional company. It was also uh, a publishing company. Mm-hmm. Uh it also had a, a music management end. Uh, it also had a, an events sort of. Yep. Isn't that right so it far? Did, yep. And uh, because I remember being down to Peter and like uh, him at the time having a lot of rough trade mm-hmm. uh, records. Yep. Joe Strummer and there was a lot of people that time I could name and name and name. So, and I know he had worked with, you mentioned Dolly Parton. So I think you would have probably thought you were in heaven there. Yep. And uh, so he had worked with Dolly, I think, and different ones. So just tell the people out there, like, um, I suppose people are thinking that's the type of company you'd maybe get in the middle of LA or in the middle of London or the middle of uh, uh, maybe even Belfast now, but like yourselves at Oh Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but here it was in Mahara. It and, was. Uh, and uh, so tell the people, what was your role then and how did you start to find out more about the industry? Yeah, you know? P- Peter was a great supporter and like I... I'm so grateful to Peter and always will be and love him to bits. He, Peter was really, really good at just giving people a start, which yeah. is all you needed sometimes. Uh, and he helped Jimmy Devlin, who went yeah. on to manage General Fiasco yeah. and does great work at the BBC. Joe Dugan worked. Joe Dugan worked For people there. out there wondering yeah. who Joe Dugan is, Joe Dugan is one of the, uh, I suppose, power bases in Northern Ireland now, yeah. uh, um, working with Shane he and is, yeah. uh, all the big gigs in Belsonic and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Custom House. And then you have the Ormal Park gigs as of well. Course, so. and a great Great lad. And yeah. Paul Clegg, uh, who's now a New York resident, but Crosslands Paul. buses. Yeah. At, and Paul manages a range of artists as well. So Peter gave everyone like that kind of their start. Yeah. And there's a band. Um, oh, people should, just when you mentioned there, uh, sorry for interjecting, uh, Crossland, uh, which is a touring company. Mm-hmm. Uh, still within South Derry uh, yeah. uh, radius. So uh, you had... Right in uh, Swatra. Yeah. Swatra, yeah, yep. Mahara and Town. So here we were on we LA, aren't we? Honestly, it's incredible <laughs> the things that happen though yeah. that you know maybe people next door to the building won't know is going on there. Aye, like, but aye. but um, Peter just entrusted me with things, Paddy. I think probably I shouldn't have been entrusted with because it was kind of going. Ah, but, I, I, I know, ah, but that's that's, what are you supposed that's to do? learning, you know. It and, is. And, and, and I mean, sometimes in a world of uh, you know, um, like an element of known. And then an element of having to take a chance on something, and then an element of learning mistakes in it, totally. and then an element that the time comes where we'll get to after in this year where you are now. So it's important Aye. for people to well, know. Well, I that. think if I'm, I can probably be sure at that point Peter knew I wasn't mucking about, and I certainly wasn't um, part time in my mindset or whatever. I was very clearly determined to like make something work. So I hope yeah. that maybe went some way to this reason that he gave me um, projects that were just. Like at do, you the want time, to speak, do you want to speak about any of them? Like, I, tell people what age you, you were then. Yeah. You know, and if, there, if there's some you don't want, well, just speak about one that you felt, you know, I'm positive, but this, I've done a good job in this. Patty, it was unbelievable some of the stuff that used to happen. But I'll tell you one. Um, so it was 2004. And so at that point, I've just turned 18. 
And Tom Waits released an album called Real Gone on a record label called Anti that's part of Epitaph. And also the Black Keys that year brought out a record called Rubber Factory. And Peter gave me those records. I remember them coming into like in a big box into the office and be like, and I'm still catching up on who all these people are because I didn't have that repertoire at home. I'm yeah. having to learn all this for myself. <laughs> you had to get, you had a band Meatloaf. <laughs> totally. If it had to be Meatloaf, I'm like, I know what that is. That's big. But like Tom Waits, I was yeah. still catching I, up with yeah, that knowledge. A great so, artist. Yeah. But um, the, all these big c box of CDs come in and, and Peter was like, so that needs to go out, you know, to all the PRs in Ireland. And I was, at that point, I was being trained up by a guy called Mike Barr. Um, again, lovely chap, give me the, the, all the time in the world to try and learn what he did because he was leaving the company. A musician too. The musician yeah. as well. And just a lovely chap and runs yeah. Star Car Hire now. So again, yeah, yeah. he's gone off and done really successful things as well. So anyways, Mike kind of trained me up, but it stopped with me on the Tom Waits record because Mike had gone at this point. Uh, so I remember, Paddy, I'm sitting in this office in the middle of Mahara getting well, phone calls. a massive calls. star. A massive star. Massive. Music in front of you. <laughs> and I had on front of me, Tom Waits will do a 20 minute interview in Ireland with the biggest outlet. You decide where to apportion that or whatever. So I remember I had Dave Fanning, who's like radio royalty yeah, uh, yeah. in Ireland. Yeah. And Tony Clayton Lee, again, like uh, journalistic royalty. I know that yeah. now. At the time, I probably didn't know that you as much as You didn't know Dave Fanning, how big he was. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I had to learn all of that. So again, I'm just on the phone and Dave Fanning's telling me that he can dedicate like a two-hour slot on his radio station plus the front cover of Hot Press, the biggest music uh, publication at that and, point. And at that point, Hot Press, people should know, was selling thousands of Massive. Yeah. And then um, you had Tony Clayton Lee who was doing the Irish Times um, and the ticket and that's a massive yeah, circulation. Yeah. Well, so I'm sitting there having to balance and all of this up. What people should know too, friend, is that in them days, um, that radio and the press outlet was massive to get huge, huge to get coverage. Huge. Huge. And, we, and Tom Waits was a massive, massive star who booked the arena and sold it out five nights in a row type thing. So like, it, you had to give the right kind of uh, guidance as the PR on yeah. the ground in Ireland and thankfully it all worked and Brilliant. they were really, really happy with it. Paddy is 18 yeah. and I'm trying to navigate those types of things and I'm just grateful now it worked out because there's really good music at the mercy of kind of whatever decisions you yeah. make. So and Because you were the, and, and that's what people should know out there, whenever there's a, 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 a like an implementation of a new product or a new release or mm. it could be anything, like a gentleman, Mike, you're on about there, he would have been using the same principles that he was working under schism when he went to his hair company. And, yeah. Uh, so for you, at 18, you mentioned a few people there, like Dave Fanning. At that time, you know, the Fanning sessions were huge and uh, all the big bands that went in through him, you know, the big, we don't have to name them, the massive bands, the Senator Connors, the U2s, they all went yeah. down, Thin Lizzy, all went down, to, mm -hmm. uh, and the Cranberries, all in the famous Down Under the Ground studios. Yeah. So how did then... Uh, the response come after that for you, like uh, I suppose, like for being eighteen years of age. I mean, I can imagine it was it was. Uh, you see, I think sometimes if you think too much when you get older, you think too much. I can't do that. Well, when you're maybe younger, you just go, "Fuck it, I'm going to do it. I'm, yeah. I'm just going to do it." And you know what actually happened there? You actually started your first line of what's the most famous thing of all I think in anything we do networking mm, totally like and you're you're starting to learn how the rules of engagement are and like yeah. how you conduct yourself and whatever I knew from the very start of this Patty, I wanted to be taken seriously yeah, like I knew yeah, that I knew yeah. it was really important but you've got the confidence you know you yeah, have, yeah like and and again like I think it was like the mindset of all of these different influences and I keep harking back to like 
the pink thing where it was a very unapologetic like yeah. you just you do you you kind of yeah. like you just move forward you kind of just don't listen to the haters type like mantras yeah. those things serve you well whenever you're stepping yeah. outside the box yeah but but haters sometimes uh offer nothing but blibberish you know I, and uh, it's like uh i was telling someone one time you know when there was let's just say there was a the talk of that moment mm. and uh but uh, as I said, you know, when people throw snowballs, snowballs just melt. Aye. You know, so it's kind of, I know it's hard at the time and it's annoying at the time. But at the same time, I suppose it, it builds a better framework for yourself, would totally. you say? Uh, but you know what? I have to be honest. Like whenever I say like the haters or whatever, yeah. it was probably me in my own head Aye. thinking, oh, you're on, you're not qualified to do this. You don't know what you're doing. You're, 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 not... doing, you're doing the rural thing. Wonder what everybody else is thinking. Possibly. Rather, you know, and it's not, uh, that's yeah. just maybe, that's, uh, I don't know, I think it could be universal. I don't know if it is, where it's sort of, oh, everybody else is thinking of this and that and all. But maybe when you get to a certain age and you analyse stuff, you don't really think like that. You just kind of go, there's just, there's, like at the minute, if you looked at it, there's, yourself, your partner and your, and your wee loved ones. So mm -hmm. if you know that effect, yeah, yeah, do you of know course. what I mean? And uh, so then when you were a Peter then, uh, your next progression, uh, like you seemed to have a good learning with mm. Pete. And, uh, he, uh, he, and also, because uh, I remember uh, he also ran the elk for a while. He did. Because uh, we'd done the buzz bar with mm -hmm. the G sessions. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as I say, uh, I always had to avoid him when I was offering, uh, getting me sandwiches. Sorry about that, Peter. <laughs> no, you did give me sandwiches. But um, from that there time, because um, I know that Peter and his brother changed, mm -hmm. they sort of went into like another form of promotion and, and events and all that there. So you then, uh, you were saying like you, you went from Makara to Peter's place and then it was small town America was that your next there uh, was a there was like a branch between all of that and it's that branch is called Fighting With Wire yeah. so Peter signed Fighting With Wire to his yes. management company Deadly. and I was again it just turned 18 whenever all that was kind of happening around this as well and Fighting With Wire were going on tour mm -hmm. I was like get me on tour because if you understand uh, all the gigs I was going to they were artists arriving into cities yeah. doing the show leaving you, and going and you, that didn't, was, you didn't see the other side I didn't see the other side and that yeah. was fascinating to yeah. me so I remember Peter sent us out just going right Charlene's going to handle the money there was there was no money to handle uh, we were losing hand <laughs> over foot so all there was for me was opportunity just to learn again at the cold face and Paddy those were just the best days like uh, I can't explain well, Cahar, it Cahar said to me when uh, Cahar and Lindsay were speaking they're saying that you know uh like these idiots just arriving and, and uh, <laughs> they like to turn the music up to 10. I remember oh, being I... out with them one time. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if it was they were all deaf or just, and they, it was a bit of a Wayne's World set up. Yeah, Everybody was. was drumming. And, it's and, a good visual. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody was drumming, drooling and having the crack. Uh, but so Kiahar says, you know, um, it must it was a big shock, I'm sure, for your own mammy, this, uh, these <laughs> Hylians arriving and shouting. And I think he says, your mammy said to look after you. And he said, uh, don't worry, we'll look after. Well, Is I'm, that what he said? Uh, That's what he said. He said. Uh, mm. He may, he maybe says, don't you bleep and bleep. Do you know what he said? Right? This was a joke for my mum, dear lover. Like I'll never forget this night, Paddy, because he did. They arrived down off the Glen Shane, hot off Derry City, uh, in a three-seater transit at the front, and then you know it's blocked off at the back. That's and obviously right. there's three in the band, so you've got me, which makes four. And in the back was an armchair from one of their granny's old houses or something. So whoever was in the back was in a black box traveling at whatever speed up, whatever motorway. So I remember Cahar jumped out of the van and 
pleasantries to my mum and then slid the van door open going get in there you wee witch that's, 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 that's what he said and I remember my mum just because you know fighting with wire and all you know they were about 10 years older than me at that point just slightly under that so she was freaking out uh, as know, you would imagine um so it was all a big leap of faith for everybody and yeah my ma probably didn't sleep a single wink that whole two yeah. weeks that I was first away. But Paddy, it was the making of me. Like, I'm so grateful for all those kind of... We nuggets, we nuggets, I, we nuggets. Like, I'm definitely, I'm, a, I'm, I'm it opened my eyes and gave me focus in different ways. And the experiences of just being on tour is Aye. a unique experience. Yeah. And anyone who's experienced it will know yeah. that. And the bonds you form in that yeah. are just so strong. And everyone looks after each other. Aye. Like, you know, you go on tour, you take care of each other. Those are the baseline. You don't even need to say those things. It's an extended family sort That's of it. attitude. And, and you know, what people should know out there is uh, you were 18 years of age, credit mm. to you, uh, yep. um, um, to be honest. And uh, the fact is that you went out and, I suppose what you were learning there was you were, you were learning the game of, oh, we have to fill the van up with diesel again. Yep. Oh, we need to get something to eat. Oh, what'll we eat? We need to keep going. And all of a sudden, uh, whatever food's been at, it's probably not the best mm -hmm. food to be eating. And you learned that what it was like to come up to meet bookers. Uh, you learned what it was like that uh, how sound checks are done. Because you would have been arriving at the G sessions, everything was ready. Yep. That's what I always say about um, it's. Uh, people should always take the understanding that uh, the band just hasn't arrived. They've been there a good while and they've travelled maybe half a day if not a day yep. and uh, so you were learning all that you were learning the, I suppose what it was like to arrive at places what it was like to try and sell tickets mm -hmm. you're, you're artist manager now for any uh, young people out there that might be thinking because it's something that's come up a lot uh, I was talking to Keith Harkin about it mm -hmm. and uh, Keith was saying about like away from the podcast is on about you know you set a tour up and you have everything in place and then um, people say, oh, you don't really need a tour manager and other ones go, oh, you do. And and then all of a sudden when you get the logistics of why they're there mm -hmm. and the weight that ticks off the band uh, is, is, is huge. Like, as he says, like you're traveling on highways in America, maybe half a day to two thirds of a day. And then you're having to approach yourself, Cheryl, mm -hmm. in the book or, and you're everything that's going with it. Yeah. Uh, well, for people out there, um, do you think it's a, it's a role that, you know, people should look at? as uh, females in the industry uh, is, is it something you're noticing more of because at the end of the day you were unofficially um, the, uh, the agent the, mm -hmm. the tour manager the booker because you're approaching it all so yeah. uh, what, what's your thoughts on that out yeah. there now or? at that point whenever I was heading out of the band like I I stood out because I was a girl like that. There's no two ways about that. I wasn't really encountering other female tour managers on the road, like quite the opposite. Go. Every night was an, another guy band. It was another guy tour manager. And, and that was all fine because everybody was very nice. I didn't uh. really... Um, face many problems but it, that's really daunting prospect for some people yeah. and some people are just not comfortable with it. I yeah. think I'm quite lucky that a lot of my friendships pre any of that were I have lots of friends with that are boys like so yeah. maybe that being around male dominated environments I didn't find as intimidating yeah. as someone else might but the, the yeah, it's definitely uh, yeah, you've, 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 yeah, because you were uh, it was just a norm growing up you're saying. it was a bit yeah. it was a bit like that like yeah. I had one brother my two best friends were two fellas you know um, my cousins at that point you know were mostly boys mm. so like I was okay with that, but it is daunting if yeah. that's not your experience. Yeah. Now, I will say I have experienced it getting much better. Yeah. And, you know, it would be remiss of me not to say that I didn't have a lot of I bullshit to deal with. Like, Paddy, yeah. I got misconstrued as the groupie, uh, as the... 
um, the cleaner, the uh, you know anything but a official uh, member uh, of staff. Like uh, you know, uh, so, but that wasn't that wasn't coming from your an internal team. That was coming from external. external. Just how you were perceived. If you yeah. were if you were the girl in the room, that you know you were the girlfriend of one of the you know musicians yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And I used to get really frustrated at that, of course. But you know, the band that I was with totally were cool and understood that and they didn't circulate that type of information like Cahar was always a great supporter of mine at the start and very much backed the fact that you know I was their tour manager would introduce me as their tour manager because you took time out of yourself your time to do it yeah Yeah, because like you like and again just for the record you weren't getting paid to do Uh, that at this point like you were just out because you lived and breathed it and you were absolutely delighted to be there you know so there was lots of challenges but as I say see now like you know any young women listening to the podcast like there are female tour managers out yeah. there more in plenty than there ever yeah. was and I, to be honest hard to beat a female tour manager yeah. like, organised uh, there's everything's just, in time <laughs> some of the best people yeah. I've ever encountered here deeply capable and just have that whole thing that the whole like I mean, sequence of like emotions, requirements, skill sets that you need to run a really yeah. good tour. A lot of females. And actually, there's a girl from up the road called Emma, who um, is tour managing Hot Chip and there just one of the bands. But she's from uh, somewhere in Northern Ireland. I'm not going to say where because I'll get it wrong. Yeah. But You're I brought right. her in a few years ago to the OES Centre to talk about that because I didn't know about Emma. You know, so... It's amazing how so many So are you people, talking another country girl? Another country girl, just absolutely out there. Doing Rural massive. What do we say? Rural massive. It's there. And again, there. an absolute sweetheart and deeply capable and just nailing it. So, yeah. you know, if, if you're really interested in tour management and you're, you understand the sacrifices, right? Because it mm. does require sacrifice. Yeah. You're away from home a lot. Long days, like mm-hmm. 18 to 20 hour days sometimes. And, and having to be enclosed with a certain amount of people. Totally. Uh, it, yeah. it, it requires a whole range of different kind of like skill sets and dynamics and tolerances. Like, yeah. So it's not for everybody, that's no. fair to say. But if anybody's inclined towards it, like definitely the way to get into it is just to start turning up maybe at mm-hmm. gigs. You know, yeah. you, there's a lot you can do to try and figure out what it might be like before actually jumping in the van, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I think sometimes reaching out to venues if they've got gigs on and asking, can you even volunteer? Can you do whatever you can to get closer to the action? Yeah, type to see thing. how it works. And, and as you say, trying to, to, to approach the booker that's in the venue and, and maybe just look what happens and the whole structure of getting artists on and how they're, how they're uh, looked after. That's it. And uh, all with it. Well, that's, that's uh, really good. So the likes of uh, that transitional moment being fighting aware, mm. uh, at that time... Um, Fighting aware then after Peter, uh, uh, a lot of, uh, I suppose, the acts um, would have got support then for your next role, yeah. which was uh, Small Town America. Yep. So, uh, like, I should say to people out there, Small Town America was run by Andrew Ferris, uh, a fierce advocate for all things independent. Uh, maybe someday he'll come down and chat to me about it all. But what we will say is uh, the label, I think, started, uh, wasn't it 2000, if I'm right? I'm, Right. Yeah, so it wrapped up in 2000, 2020, um, right. and it was 20 years old there at that point. So yeah, good so, math, Paddy. So 2000, and uh, I didn't even get that in my year, no. I got that myself. It Unreal. Was remarkable. Uh, I sat up all night reading up knowledge <laughs> about you, you know, so uh, that's why I look tired. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, and it's no, a remarkable story. And uh, the likes of, uh, so Andrew set up the label, and it was all about independence, that just going back to, nearly links into what we're talking about mm-hmm. there, Charlene, about the being on the road. Um, 
uh, face on the pantons, uh, T-shirts, um, product on the road, mm-hmm. sell on the road, uh, maybe even record on the road if that's the case. Uh, so Andrew uh, had a band, Jet Plane Lantern, uh, people out there, a lot of people would have known about. And uh, and then would have had the connections, I should say, back in the day um, when I was up in Derry living uh, to a band called Cuckoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, signed to Giffen mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, which was a, um, at that time around... Uh, Derry, there was a lot of eyes and ears of, of the industry coming in. And I remember the night that uh, I think Giffen came into, I can't remember the bar in Derry, but it was there. And Andy Kearns was there from therapy. Yeah, very so, good. Uh, and, uh, so he had appeared up. And because at that time, there was, uh, like it comes in fluctuations, as you know, Johnny, yeah. there was a lot of interest. Cuckoo were there, Stoom, another great band uh, at the time. Uh, Whole Tribe Sings, Paddy Nash's band, all these guys were all about the one mm-hmm. time and uh, yeah. do you want to talk about then how you moved from from peter and schism uh up to small town america yeah so i was i was about six years into tour management for fighting with wire okay, and patty i paid the bills you know in between tours because you did it for the love and i worked in a wee sandwich bar in belfast and i had a it was a Donny Goldman ran it, so he was very sympathetic to me needing to jump What's out it? for six weeks. <laughs> we should say that to people out there too. Uh, he, was, like, he was because you know you have to you pay your rent because you're on tour, but then you're off tour and you need a roof over your head. So John uh, used to be very sympathetic to my need to dive off for six weeks and then want to come back to a job. So bless John, like I don't know what a, you know would have made work if it wasn't for him. But anyhow, I remember I was on John the Sandwich Man. Yeah, John. Good solid man, John, 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 John wherever you are. John, I hope John, you're well. John, 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 John. There's four Johns. Yeah, that's him. Four Johns. Uh, we love you, and you let Charlie out that time. So maybe the moral of the story here uh, is uh, if you're uh, young and you're trying to get into the music industry, always have a wee backup. Find yourself a good John. Uh, that's what you need. That's what you need. <laughs> but anyway, so I remember I was on the in the van with Fighting with Wire, and at that point they had. Um, They'd been working their ass off, Paddy. Like, you know, I had gone out on what, the first ever UK tour with them and we played to 20 people. We played to 50 people. It was really nothing more than that. And that was good for where the band were at. They were only new. Nobody had heard of them. So that was fine. But the band had built it to the point that we were going to like Wolverhampton. We were going to Glasgow and they were playing to like between 250 to 500 people, depending on the city. It was a massive That buzz. was really good. Like They were on a head of steam. Aye. But whenever you start to rise to those different types of levels, new pressures start to emerge yeah. and you start to then need more support. So Small Town America were releasing Fight With Wire Records and Atlantic were in the mix at that point yeah. as well. But I remember being in the van, doing the old tour manager bit on the phone to a promoter and then over here in Cahir on the phone to Andrew about, oh, and this needs done and that needs done and, you know, we need that. And so I'm starting to build up all this knowledge of what a record label does. You know, how do they act in this kind of ecosystem of what we're trying to do and how does it make sense? And I was really interested in it. That was your your next phase then. That was it. And it was purposeful on my part. Like I remember sending Andrew an email and just saying, Andrew, like I actually, I've no experience in a record label, but I can just tell you, I'll do the post office runs. I'll take all the CDs and T-shirts that need posted and I'll stand in the queue of the post office if it saves you an hour doing Uh, the things. And so Andrew kindly took that on and we had a meeting and he was just like, listen, do you want to try and see how you get on? And that was it. I was in small town then for six, seven years and part of like just a really, what I found really exciting time for the label because we expanded during that time I set up the publishing division whenever I was there because like 
the whole principle of what Andrew was about that I shared was good music needs to be heard. Like we felt really impassioned about that. So whenever you boiled everything down as to what was going right, what was going wrong, we were getting music out to people and that's all that mattered, you yeah. know, and we were learning a lot as we went along and I was learning huge amounts from Andrew because as you say, he had the label experience from Geffen. Yeah. He also had set up Small Town America, yeah. you know, and ran it for you know, 10 years before I had become involved and stuff like that. So he had all this just incredible knowledge and I was just so eager to just... And, and contacts, you'd imagine. Totally. Uh, and I was just so eager to be useful in that scenario. So I just worked my ass off and had the, the most amazing support and guidance from Andrew. Like I wholeheartedly love Andrew Ferris and yeah. he remains a really important friend today. Yeah. Um, because again, that was another significant uh, changer for me joining Andrew and working with him for that period of time and you know building a friendship with him um, and I, I'm really proud of what we managed to do like we did yeah. some far out things we signed bands we never signed we started to sign bands outside of Northern Ireland where we just thought they had the principles that suited small town America yeah you know? I suppose and in that sense there that meant that actual the brand and the visual appearance of small town America had travelled I know I read it was there were state bands from the states, and mm -hmm. there was UK bands, and, and I suppose a lot of people don't know the likes of uh, Ryan Vale, early stuff, all that. You know, the, most dairy acts, are, and I've seen in the past the Bonnevilles. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, the list goes on and on and on. And uh, Little Bear, who become Ports now, yeah. I think. So I suppose for artists um, uh, from the city, it was it probably was great to have that sort of. Um, I suppose it's like Liam Craig was in the throw, and Liam was saying about you know just like yourself now, the whole planning of something released. And uh, whereas there's still that attitude over here that uh, I rang you the night and say, Charlene, my album's out tomorrow. Could you, could you come down and watch me gig? Yeah, uh, do you see what I've done there? And, yeah. and, and, uh, and you're, sorry, uh, just me gig. I'm going mm. to do it tomorrow. I've just put it up online. I'm so excited. Look, look, I put it up on Facebook. Yep. And, uh, and it disappears. Mm. All that... Uh, money investment and I think when you look at independent uh, labels like Small Town that would have been watched vigorously I'd imagine the budget and, totally. and also too what people should have known uh, was at that time a lot of bands in Northern Ireland didn't have any agents mm -mm. No. so you were do you want to explain about that too that you had to become this yeah. you weren't an agent don't get me wrong right I know because I dealt with yourself so you but you, you worked, you had to work like an agent totally. because the bands maybe you were dealing with that didn't have agents of that sort. And mm -hmm. some of them did and then uh, maybe they didn't, you didn't keep them around. That's just how agents work, I suppose. It yeah, changes all the time. It can time. be difficult. And actually, you know, I think that experience is what precipitated my step into artist management was working with Small Town America and understand the frustrations of maybe a record label if you've got this really shit hot record that mm. you're so keen that as many people as possible here but yet your band are struggling to get booked because they don't have an agent. So what do you do then? You just have to step in. Like, yeah. you just have to get it done. And Paddy, it's really tribal means. Like, there's no magic aye. in it. No. Get on Google no, hey, and start aye, figuring out aye. what venues the bands that you like played in and then ring people. And I used to ring people in every corner of the UK going, do you have availability on this date? This band's coming in. We just want to get them in front of people, whatever. You know, so yeah. you just stepped in. Like, yeah. you had to do it. And it's it's certainly not rocket science, but it's a lot a lot of people are put off by it because it's not easy. There's a lot of effort sometimes and it just doesn't come through. And try and get a 10 date, 20 date UK tour all lined up where the geography works out, where you know it all 
works in sequence is a task in itself yeah. and that's why agents are obviously very important if you can get one yeah i suppose people should know out there there all of a sudden you were with peter and you were learning a certain part of the industry mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden uh you so on one side you had these products to push out and then you went up to a place that you had to yeah i've got a product but i have to market it mm-hmm. i have to get the people to hear it. I have to set up radio interviews. I have to set up uh, gigs. Yep. I have to figure out how much it's going to cost. I have to figure out, can we really get there? I have to figure out what if the van breaks down. And Because all of a sudden, it's surprising how quick people will ring somebody when they could maybe sort it out themselves. Yeah. Right? So you went then from uh, to small town, which I think at the time, you'd have been there at the City Culture time. I was, yeah. Do you want to speak about that for artists? Because I know at that time you would have been, i seen uh, Little Bear would have mm-hmm. been with you that became the ports. Yeah. Because uh, they had a great year that of year. Of course they and, did, uh, yeah. So do you want to talk about that year in the city? Because you would have been there and I knew it was exciting all around. Uh, uh, the time Soak was discovered and all the rest. You Incredible. Know, so, yeah, yeah th- that was a magic moment in the city, no doubt. Yeah. Like, And I feel just really... Really grateful to yeah. have been able to get to know the little bear guys that, you know, then, yeah. you know, form por- ports. Like yeah. the, that moment is soundtracked by them for me. Like that's yeah. kind of where I hear it and see it and remember it um, because I got to know those guys really well through working with them in small town America. Really nice guys. The best people. Yeah, yeah. Like just, I can't say enough good about them. All, and songwriter, deeply all talented. songwriters in their own right. Yeah, all like of course, like yeah. Connor Mason. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Solo material Amazing. is just worth anyone's time uh, and ears. Uh, like, and the I encourage you to listen. Yeah, tell I, the world what ad break, right? <laughs> ad break. Go, Charlene. Uh, Connor Mason is just worth um, every minute of your time. He's just really. He's a he's a true artist. Yeah. And I'll always struggle to have the right words to place on him, but uh, the music matters and it's really powerful yeah, and, and it, he's been doing it. It hits you. It does. Like uh, he's and he's put out beautiful records. Yeah. Um so yeah, just Google Connor Mason. Google, seek him out. Seek him um, out. But yeah, ports are just um one of the most musically musically talented groups that I've ever experienced. And I remember yeah. the first time like then Little Bear played the Black Box in Belfast. Just the ripple effects of that around the city. Everybody was like, oh my God, who's this band? And they were selling it out really mm-hmm. quick. And that's really powerful because that's, that's hard to do. Yeah, it is. Especially if you're not from Belfast. If you're yeah. a dairy band coming down over the mountain to sell out a Belfast show, you know, within your first one or two times playing, that's a big there's thing. Something. But it's like a big general thing. fiasco, isn't it? That yes, they thing. did it. Uh, but, you know, there's countless other amazing bands that yeah. just never quite managed to kind of do that, and or even in that short space of time. So, yeah, the City of Culture year was incredible. It was, yeah. you know, but even just walking through Derry, uh, it felt... But the investment and in It things, felt encouraged. It? Uh, it felt confident. It felt yeah. um, just... Like, it's always been a vibrant city yeah. full of the best people great, ever. Great people. Unbelievable yeah, yeah. people with the best sense of humour yeah, in yeah, the world, yeah, bar yeah, none. Yeah. Um, so it just felt like it got... Best sense of humour next to their neighbours, us right, down here. Right, and we're, fair we're, enough. And we're us, we're all from... Because we're a great crack. Um, <laughs> but I, like, the, yeah, city culture was class. Like, I was really lucky to be so well anchored within the city, within an organisation like Small Town American, yeah. ever all that was going on. So it was really bloody exciting. Yeah, um, I thought it was deadly. And, and the reason I'm bringing it up is that... Uh, uh, I know the Belfast, where you're based now, mm. is going for, uh, I think it's the NESC, yep. uh, school, the NESCO, uh, yep. uh, City of uh, Music. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes, uh, uh, now where we're at at the minute, find that extraordinary, mm. to be honest. Uh, yeah. But, uh, so, 
what what do you think? What what's your thoughts on that? Because the reason I brought up the the city of culture, I could see what was happening there. I could see that. Uh, I don't know when it happens in Belfast. Does that mean like in Derry, like the, the Marty McGill of the Music Promise, where young people like Anu yeah can get support and you know, yeah. the programs. Uh, and gigs, or do you want to talk about that? Because I'm sure you're you're involved in it. I know you're I'm involved. Not, well, Charlene, not, maybe. Involved. Yeah, like yeah. the Oh Yeah Centre um, is a key music space yeah. within the the city of Belfast, um, and you know, all I'm hearing right is that um, UNESCO would be a wonderful accolade to put upon any city, yeah. right? Is Especially it, is it like for a, a Mercury Prize. Sort it's of like Aye. it's just like saying it's a music city. I, but I'll be honest with you, it's a music city with and without it, right? It is. Uh, Ireland is a musical yeah, land. Yeah. Okay. Ireland's heartbeat is the rhythm, with or without yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, accolades. Yeah. But one of the things about accolades like UNESCO is really, really important. Is I feel like music, as you say, lives and breathes in this land because I work in it. Yeah. It's my day to day. And I think where we're at now, where you're looking at, you know, post post kind of pandemic world and we're starting to get back to normal and you have to look at how the music industry is still tied up in red tape and a lot of my friends still aren't able to work. Um, a lot of venues that would have had capacities of 300 are now having capacities of 60. Um, music is not back. Yeah. Uh, every other industry seems to be. Yeah. So, you know, having a UNESCO focus where music is given its due focus probably isn't a bad idea, yeah. given that I think music deserves all the support in the world because of what it does for people, what it does for communities, what it does for individuals and also legacies. Like, where would our legacies be without, you know, the undertones, without yeah. Soak, without, yeah. you know, Van Morrison, all the, the creative yeah. energies yeah. that have been born in this land and have reverberated around the world. So I, I would love... And, some of, and reverberated in some of the biggest bands in the world, like you talk, of you know, course. Like we've created some great guitarists, Gary Moore and Vivian Campbell. Yeah. Another man travelled the world. And Eric with Bell. And Eric Bell, and Lizzie, you know, the whole... And, and as you say, that, uh, that landscape... Uh, I suppose, uh, is it important now then, if, if, for my thinking and just to understand about it, is will it help uh, people on the ground, like if centres like yourselves know, yeah, or will it, is it something that uh, is just, a, uh, I often say like jam in the lips and there's, no, there's no scone and there's no, there's nothing, yeah. you know, there's no, no, I know. there's no tea, there's no scone, there's no apple pie or nothing, it's just this thing. Yeah. Because I think at the minute, as you said there, uh, it's important to be bring up. You can go for all the accolades you want, but if you're only allowed a third of your people, and what? Totally. You know. Yeah. And do you think now that uh, from that, uh, maybe it's a time that uh, I know that like there's not that many new music venues as such <laughs> in the north, uh, and uh, I think is it time for like an investment in them to sort of go look. We can open up here, but uh, I suppose we're going to take a hit of uh, what seventy oh, yeah. percent. You know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. tough. Oh yeah, like and then the thirty percent they might sell not turn up. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? They could be the 10% that doesn't turn up to your sold out show because it always happens. People, yeah. Something might happen at home or, you know, yeah. the crack. And uh, So what, what's your thoughts on that then? Like, Help sorta, is needed, Paddy. Like, yeah. there's no doubt about that. Like, yeah. it's a struggle. It's it's always been really hard to do the independent music thing in yeah. the country because, yeah. again, it's not really perceived in the way I think it should be perceived. You know, some people have perceptions around it being a hobby project and whatnot. Mm. And it's not, I think, mm. through the various movements um, through the pandemic, 
people have been shown that there are thousands of people who are actively employed within the music and associated yeah. industry. Look at the amount of um, applica- entries, you should say, not applications, or, or what do we call it, enter the Northern Ireland Music Prize. Like, of course, yeah, but the even the of arts. Albums, that's, like, and, and yeah, but the arts, that's what I'm saying too. It's very important because we're just even sitting here now, you've got, uh, um, you've got a, Creative people in the, on the follow man, the creative people in the studio, mm-hmm. you know, and if you've been a creative person, and then there's me yakking in the background, you yeah, know, yeah. and you know, with all these people, and it's all part of this, you know, uh, microism uh, that's called creativity. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, uh, I think that it's maybe uh, there needs to be more. Uh, you're totally right, because I think what the lockdown's shown is, I didn't even know there's as many artists out there, and maybe. I didn't even know there's maybe as many short filmmakers. All these things are appearing. Totally. And, and not that people had to do work, but they were putting out content all over the place. So the likes of uh, investment is what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Like, and it's also like that, again, the pandemic has brought to the fore the people who always stay in the background, like the crew, men ah, and women, yeah. who are the people in the black that you're uh, not supposed to see them yeah. in the in the line of their the lights, work or their lights are out it's just they're there they're but, there yeah, but yeah. you know and a lot of them haven't gone to work now for 18 months and are yeah. actively um going to miss out the more these kind of regulations are permitted upon yeah. venues or and not stuff. come so, back or not come back at all yeah completely so you know, d- yeah like reskill whatever uh, that uh, nonsense uh, was uh, but uh, so investment's definitely needed but i also think it's um the more that the creative arts is doing well, the better any city is for it, the better any region or town or whatever is for it. Like, all you need to do to unite the people of a town from whatever part they're from is to put on a really nice music event and people people come to it. More people than not love and enjoy music. So why are we not supporting it? I don't understand that. It is a cross-community project in its nature. Uh Um, Music is a great unifier. It's intergenerational. It's a... it connects all uh, genres of people. Yeah. It uh, doesn't matter where you come from, uh, who you are, what you are. Um, at that or at that evening, yeah, you are there and you're loving it. Totally. And it's, uh, it's important then what we're, you're saying there that, uh, well, I suppose what we're saying there is for a city to be vibrant, mm-hmm. it needs certain infrastructures. And we all know that. And they'll, they'll, they'll and they are uh, industrial. They are hospitality. They are health. And yep. They are education. But it's also entertainment as well and uh, the to switch that entertainment into the fact that the person sitting up in front of you uh, that's performing has put a lot of hours in to be there same with the person that's maybe filming that show Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and I think that that's maybe the message we need to get out uh, that the creative industries in Northern Ireland instead of talking about um, the PR darlings that we all know that they do out there um, let's talk about um, what's happening now yeah. Let's talk about how we can get uh, gigs back and, and not this, um, you know, because you're right there. Because I was asked, when you open up, the music's back. And like, and I'm going, well, it's not. It's not, you no. Know, oh, well, they'll mention a gig in Belfast. I said, that's outside and, and that's already been booked two years ago, you know, yeah. or whatever. But uh, it's not. And what do you think needs to happen then? To I believe that venues should get an injection mm. of money, not to hold them up or anything, just to... Um, to try and get people back out. Completely. And yeah. Uh, Niall or Nine, actually, um, who's a, you know, a really popular blogger in the south of Ireland, did like a few simple breakdowns that anyone could ingest where it showed the cost of running a venue, like opening up for a gig and the associated costs versus their ticket price and what they could bring in. And it showed the deficit. And I think whenever you look at stuff like that, you go, right, well, clearly venues need help because... 
their reduced capacities are not sustainable. So cash investment is needed for the immediate, but yeah. it's also needed for the long term because yeah. creative arts take time. It mm -hmm. takes time for that to become what, you know, developmentally, uh, you take Snow Patrol or whatever, and they were 10 years down the yeah. line before they were discovered overnight yeah. and all of those different kind of development And it looked pathways. as if you just come out of nowhere, doesn't it? It doesn't happen uh, that no. way, you know? And even if you see a local musician or whatever, and they're playing covers in a bar or whatever, that will be hours and days and weeks of preparation so that it looks easy. Yeah, it's not easy. It's a learned art and it takes time and you yeah. don't get paid for the prep time sometimes. So I think it just needs to be trusted. Yeah. And I think more money will only mean better yeah. for people. And that's yeah. the long and short of it for me. Yeah. And venues are struggling, and but venues are absolutely essential for the development of the, the world-class artists that we export out of here. Well, well, the people paying, what we're saying, friend, is the people who are paying £100 to go and see X, Y, or Z mm. at this stage um, had to play in the, the dog and hound or, the, you know, the, the, the cellar or, or, or the oh yeah. Or, totally. you know, they had to play... You know, and I think also too, the problem lies now is that uh, for youth gigs and all, there's nowhere to play. Completely. And you know, like, so it's, uh, that's something I suppose needs to be looked at. And that probably leads me into where you're at now in the Oh Yeah mm. Centre. Uh, yeah. <coughs> or Oh Yeah. Uh, or how would they say it parsley? Oh Yeah. Uh, I don't know how they would say it parsley. Oh Yeah. Uh, it sounds quite good there. Oh Yeah. yeah. Instead of Yeah Yeah. Oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you've went from Peter Shot up through a small town, <laughs> went through the city of culture, which is an electrifying time. Why I brought that up was, I suppose, um, um, I feel that sometimes, uh, yes, there's a lot of things need to be looked after mm. in life. But uh, one thing I would say is uh, a, city, a city that's energised and has got stuff going on is uh, a city that people want to see. That's how we should, and that's important. And music does that. Yeah. And creativity and all the other diff yep. different types of street performers. So... Um, oh yeah, from uh, for people out there, is the only dedicated music uh, centre in uh, Belfast. Yep. Uh, so you would have oh yeah, and uh, the Nerve Centre would have been the granddaddy yep. uh, of it all. And then you've got when we here where we are, uh, and we all kind of know each other and yep. work together. So for people out there, uh, oh yeah, centre. I suppose you could describe it. Um, have uh, it'll be another ad break. You know, you can. So Charlotte's going to go. Uh, uh, <laughs> let's go, let's go. And uh, so, but for uh, people out there, it's a multifaceted creative space. Mm -hmm. uh, there's uh, um, start start again. Start together. Start together. Studios run yep. by Rocky O'Reilly. Mm -hmm. uh, there's other business, uh, as you would know. There's probably uh, I know that I get my amp fixed yep. from a, a guy that's in one of your Leaf, businesses. Probably, yeah, Leaf. Yep. And uh, so it has incubation for businesses, and then it's uh, very much about youth engagement. Yeah, is that right? And uh, for music, and so uh, what's your role within it? Then, sorry, and your I suppose it's like uh, watch your hat hats within it because. Uh, for people out there, anybody working in a creative space, of probably about, I know uh, Stella has about 20,000 hats. Aye. She pulls on and off. So w tell people what it's like for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So my, my job title in the year is Talent Development. That's what I do. That's kind of the name on my, my card. So that involves lots of different things, Patty, as you say. Like Talent Development's kind of a really core kind of strand of what we do because it's creating access to people. It's creating... Um, 
opportunities to learn, to grow. Um, so I run a couple of schemes that are designed towards that. So one of them is called Scratch My Progress and it's like an annual scheme and we do a shout out for any artists who want um, to step into a new realm of development and who are ready for that. So we, we do a shout out every summer and we get lots of applications and we go through who we think's most ready, promise and whatever. And like some of the <coughs> alumni on that are just my favourite artists. Gemma Bradley's one of them. Yeah. Um, Kit Phillippe came through it. Um, just countless bands like yeah. over the years. Lemonade Shoelace is an, a, a particularly new one. He just graduated this year and he's now on the one of five bands selected by Vans, you know, the like cool oh, trainer cool, company for cool. a Europe-wide um, competition. Yeah, so sadly. wildly exciting. Yeah. Um, and that's just for people out there to know that uh, I've seen that happening, uh, I suppose, uh, I suppose the last 10 years mm. where you're seeing bands connect, you know, or with, with closely. I mean, I think uh, Two Door Cinema Club had a, a kind of a, a connection with a close company way back in the day too. So yeah, Kitsune, uh, that yeah. was their start. Yeah, so, so and that's their influencer, I think, to this day, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it was. That was. I remember they got they released that track on the Kitsune. Like, was it compilation that started yeah. it, and then it was all just like straight up in the air from then. Like, but yeah. So the Oh Yeah does a lot of good work. Again, the mantra for Oh Yeah is open doors to music. So yeah. I'm one of an extended team of really dedicated music lovers and yeah. fans who just want to make sure that people get the access and support they can so like my colleague Shan runs a lot of youth outreach yeah. and does lots of really really designs lots of projects that help young people get yeah. the support because they need because her background was uh, social, social work, work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so she's coming at that with that sensibility but it's just one of the biggest music fans you'll ever meet and absolutely yeah. has an encyclopedic knowledge of Northern Irish bands way yeah. back to like the early 2000s so I love Shan because she's just the exactly right person for that job. Um, Charlotte obviously runs the OES Centre, yeah. solid dairy woman and the best person you'll ever meet. Yeah. And again, just really believes in what we're trying to do, which is just keep the music alive mm -hmm. and give as many people on access and opportunity, you know, touch point within the centre. So it's a grassroots music venue in normal times. We've got, you know, gigs happening every day of the week. She but, said but the it's, studio... It's, it's got the family atmosphere. It's better, I guess, isn't it? You've got that oh, connection I, to the people around you, you know. Yeah, and, and, and like everyone and in there... And you are seen as industry... Uh, uh, industry... Uh, specialist, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You do a lot of work with that. I suppose people should know that too. Yeah, everyone in there is working their ass off to try and make sure that if a, if a new band forms or a, a musician knocks at the door and wants something to take them from A to B, that we can try and do something yeah. in that that's useful to them, you know, be that signposting them, be that, you know, introduce them to the studio upstairs, be that giving them their first gig. Um, we've got rehearsal spaces in there that we try and make affordable because, you know, that can be really prohibitive at the start of a new band's life. And as I say, Scratch is just one of the schemes we do that's yeah. completely free to access. But Brilliant. we try and make sure that whenever the artists go through that scheme, they come out the other end kind of knowing how the business side of it shakes so that they don't end up taking a wrong turn yeah. so that they don't end up with this great idea that gets buried because they signed a really bad contract yeah. or they they just didn't understand it well enough that you know sort of entrapped you mean Aye, I, and that, I, I, Paddy, that can happen to anybody oh, at any yeah. point you oh, know so yeah. we all know people from here that that's happened too yeah like, and they don't need to be mentioned as say but Close to you, maybe, and close to me. I've known stories and heard stories about that. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. And do you feel that, uh, you know, even with uh, the uh, the OES Centre, um, that uh, creative spaces um, 
like yourselves are supported, right? You know, because um, um, I know that it's quite, uh, for us, it's kind of like, you know, it goes back to what you said earlier on, well, was it just about crack? Like, mm. But like, I mean, like even last year, we'd, uh, with uh, Tierney and the guys, uh, there was a short doc done and, and the amount of creative people that Tierney had on on the, the job, all creative people trying to get that that mm-hmm. next, you know, movement within yeah, yeah. the industry. And like yourselves, like, uh, and the reason I ask that is because I think that, uh, from my point of view, the answer is uh, maybe no. Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, for the work that's output that's done, do you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, and uh, I know that maybe uh, there's some centres that can be better, better lubricated, let's mm-hmm. say, or financed than others. Yeah. But uh, do you find that difficult then? Because uh, why I'm saying that is that, uh, like, a lot of people will walk by here, and uh, so they walk by here and they just think, oh, they've. Glasgow has always been there because okay. they're, they're young. Okay. Do you know what I mean yeah, by that? Yeah. Right? So it's kind of like, um, and behind the scenes, we're wheeling away in the hamster, like you guys, keeping that door from going like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you think it's important that uh, that uh, specialised uh, uh, centres like yourself have more opportunity? Because I know that from me and people coming in, um, with the guys and all, that there's a film club going now with Tierney and the guys, and they're mad to get work going, but it's all about you know, getting it together and, and then getting it financed and getting everything going. But these are all people like like uh, yourself at a stage, all creative people, all got their degrees and whatever, but all trying to move into, I suppose, uh, a system uh, or a, uh, I suppose a business model that mm-hmm. maybe doesn't suit them all. You know, yeah. I don't know if you get the same from the music end, but I'm just thinking that uh, overall, mm-hmm. I think uh, there should be more supports for young creatives coming out because what's happening is uh, they're coming out and then they're leaving of course yeah so that that all that knowledge is gone do you know what i mean by that do you know so what's your what's your thinking on on one of them i know that some funders are good but some no paris tough like uh, and again you you find yourself telling that to young people but also on the other hand trying to say to them but don't let that put you off uh, because like it kind of you, you can't let it put people off because we're all working to try and make it better, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So we have to be honest with people that it's not easy, but we also have to be realistic that, you know, if everybody just goes, oh God, that's really hard and doesn't do it. Well, what's the generation Nobody next? Will what's happen, Nobody right? will do it. Nobody will do it. You know, and that, uh, that's the worst. Uh, that's the yeah. the worst thing that could happen, which all of us are trying to work against. Because so, we'd go back, what's the word? It would retreat back. Of course. And all that knowledge would be lost. Yeah. And I think that's important. And I mean, I should say, from Glasgow's point of view, we will be working with OEA. Yeah. Uh, through the Paul Hamlin mm-hmm. Foundation for the Unions Guys, uh, uh, a great foundation, uh, which is something uh, we're excited about because yeah. it goes back to what you said earlier on, friend, about being rural and going to the city and going, whoo, you know. Of course. This is, you know, so it's, I know we do the same kind of thing, but it'll be at that exchange. And I think it's important. But. From the OES point of view, uh, and lockdown, what if what were what way have humans worked at? Is it just all online or, or? Yeah, like a lot of it, Paddy. We've pivoted because again, what what are we trying not to do to make the musicians or young creatives kind of suffer more than you know we're all kind of suffering right now? So gladly, a lot of what we do. We've been able to put online, but crucial, like not all of it. Like obviously, the heart of the OES Center is our venue space. Like there's yeah. no doubt about that. It's the beating heart. It's yeah. the nucleus of everything. And the first gig that happened in that ga- in our venue was space was just a couple of nights uh, ago. Uh, or last night was uh, it? Last night, night before. Uh, um, and that's since March of 2020. Like that's un. 
like precedented like yeah. it's and to be honest it feels unforgivable almost because like I've been in and out of that space now and it's odd to see it ghostly so is it ghostly ghost, it's just weird like uh, it's not it, it's not how it's meant to be uh, so you feel weird about it but yeah, a lot of the stuff that we've been doing in terms of our outreach and our mentoring and stuff like that, we've just put it online because it's the only option we had at the time. And to be fair, like some of that's functioned all right, because mm. there was a lot of fear, obviously, during the start of the pandemic. So we could never have been, you know, um, making anyone feel any more fearful. So actually the whole being in your own home actually was an environment which allowed a lot of people to relax into it a wee bit more gadget, and gadget. and actually ask questions that whenever they're in a strange environment i.e they're in our Room venue space where they've not been they before want speak about it. they want to speak about it you know uh. just stuff like that so it had like i be honest it hasn't been all bad we found maybe stuff that we can take away from this that will work but the one thing that remains to be in absolute issue is just the restriction on people being able to be inside a live music venue and yeah. standing yeah. seated is fine but it's incredibly exclusive for a certain certain genres of music i would say yeah. whereas like i you know represent rock bands and they're yeah. not getting booked for seated gigs yeah. paddy like yeah. nobody's nobody's no. booking that so if there's a, one ounce of hyperactive and you couldn't sit couldn't you no you're, it's just no. not going to work right. it just and how, how did the gig work for 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 oh yeah then was it like one chair and in a space. And then ah, it's, you have to have social distance. And so say our venue is a typically 300 capacity venue. Yeah. But right now we can have 65 people total in the space as per current guidelines. And, you know, I don't need to explain how that's obviously difficult um, whenever you take a look at the numbers Aye. and all of that. Um, but musicians are starting to fill the place up with music again. I'm very grateful to mm. them. There's, um, and people, the 65 people who are in that room the They'll other night it. were just so lucky. They're lucky. And we'll feel that way yeah. because there's a certain emotive environment around all of it now because people have come through this realizing how important music is to their well being. Yeah. And I think I, you're you know, right there. Yeah. That's because uh, funny, anybody I've been talking to, like I've been out at, the events we're allowed to go out there mm -hmm. uh, uh, have loved it. Yeah, uh, like I was talking to one of the young tutors this morning. She was down at, uh, I think it was Balsonic mm. last night at uh, Jerry Summit. And she says, you know, everybody was just smiling, Patty. You know, just kind of, you know, <laughs> just smiling. Yeah. And uh, I says, you know, she says, uh, obviously she loves music, but she says it was just so good to be there with music. And I think that, I suppose that's the message. And look, for people out there, just um, another thing you sh uh, they should know about your good self, you're also a, man a manager. Mm. Uh, would you like to speak about some of the acts that you manage? and Because uh, you've got some ones that uh, are in the stage now and seem to be moving. Do you want to chat about that and yeah. how that came about? Like, I know it came about because if people are listening to this podcast, should know that you have gained a lot of knowledge mm -hmm. over the years. Yeah. So now we're at the stage with laying out black, uh, the black chair in the back of the van with mm -hmm. the cacker and the boys and, and Greg. Uh, uh, it's... It, What's his drum? Craig. Craig. And what's his drum company? A Ava. 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 Ava drums. Ava, yeah. Ava drums. So that's uh, the famous Ava drum. Yeah, so we don't an ad for him, so he doesn't need seen an ad. It's a massive ad. It's great. And, and it's been loved all over no the world. No more needed. All over the world that, that ad's been loved. If I was a drummer, I'd be asking him now for a drum snare, but I'm not a drummer. <laughs> I carried his uh, hardware through Dublin, and I'm freaking half the size of him, but oh. hey, that's life. I was a tour manager one day too, uh, <laughs> going back in the day, working class heroes. Love uh, it. And uh, so... That was all right. So 
tell us about some of your accents, Charlene, about who you manage now and, and uh, what's your work like? Because I suppose you should ask the question within this, how do you juggle it all? Oh, know? Paddy, it's, uh, it's a patchwork is how I describe it. And it just all moves around. And some days it feels like it's functioning. Other days it feels a wee bit the wheels are coming off. But like it, yeah. it's, it works most of the time and that's enough for me. But so I set up Zero Myth Management in 2017 because at that point I felt I had amassed enough of the rounded knowledge of how this big operation called the music industry works and all yeah. the component parts and what you might need. So I thought, step into the ring, give it a go. And that was helped along by an artist called Kit Philippa, who is a friend of mine. And actually KP and I had been hanging out years before I set out set up the record label. And um, KP's one of the most uniquely talented but also kind and genuine people you'll, you'll ever yeah, meet yeah. so kp had been planting these wee seeds and going charlene you'd be good at management have you ever thought about that and just things like that that were maybe mentioned no more than once every year a couple yeah. of years but it kind of did a, build, a bit to build my confidence because i have to admit the reason why i didn't start this earlier was just a confidence issue it was yeah. voices in my own head saying ah you're not you're not um uh, like you don't have the experience and all this. You were hearing that voice. Like, remember that voice? It goes right back to when we first started. When we were younger, you know, that's that yeah. voice again. You know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be an individual. But I know what you're saying. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have that. And oh, but no, it's but your you, ability yeah, do, to. Everybody has it. Don't course, worry, that's the thing. It's your ability to put it to the back and just you keep at the front and keep Turn working it hard. Turn to a positive. That's it. I and I've learned. I've I've genuinely yeah. feel like I've got better yeah. at that as I've got a bit older, but. I say KP and I were spent a lot of time and, and I'll never forget this, Paddy. It was a moment that will, it'll stay with me forever. KP trusted me with their demos and I was walking through Ormo Park and I was listening to them. And on that day, the news that Donald Trump had been voted in as president broke and my heart broke with it, to Tang be honest. Tango day. Awful. <laughs> But I, on that demo bank was Kit Phillip as human. And I was an, I was the adult walking through Ormo Park with tears in my eyes because I just felt that song connected. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about music. And I've had that experience in the last couple of months with a new demo bank that I've got through from one of the artists I'm working with where I'm like, oh my God, look uh, at this. I actually uh, feel, I can feel it in uh, my body whenever uh, I hear this in my ears. So, Because that, I mean, that's part of the, if something uh, really hits you, then... That's the part where the manager, Aye, that, that's that connection you need, isn't it? It's not just about the music. It's that's about, the drug. I think and that's Aye. why I'm still in this like Aye. 17 years later. I Aye. That's a palpable effect. So I think that's why I keep doing this. Yeah. Um, because but that, you're well respected now. And you're, you mean, people should know you, you've done a lot of panels for different, the big organisations mm, in the UK. And so yeah. you are a part of the industry now. Yeah, like and I, yeah. I, through the years, like I feel like I've had lots of rich learning experiences. So I feel confident now Aye. that, I can steer an artist in a direction that might work for them or that might best suit them. So that's how the management thing started. And first artist I signed to the management company was Kit Philippa. And we worked for about three years on putting out that debut album. Jeez. So that album took, you know, that amount of time. And that's not counting all the time that took KP to craft those songs. You know, those yeah. some of those songs have been in the working for many years before that. But yeah. it, it took us that long to bring it all together with kind of consideration. For you and for... For, for KP, yeah. 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 And it was it was a big partnership. We spent countless hours together, day and night. There was no such thing as weekdays and weekends. It all just melded into one. You just, whatever was right for the project needed to be done and whatever else alongside that became sacrificed. And that was just the reality. And I will always feel deeply 
grateful and proud that mm-hmm. that was one of the first artist projects that I got to manage. But, you know, word spread and yeah. She got part of the NI Music Awards. Yeah, KP won two awards yeah. and, you know, and did lots of really important things to them. Like KP's, you know, a very grounded person, but, you know, wants the music to have its best chance and stuff. So I'm really proud of a lot of the reviews and outside kind of like critical acclaim that that record got and some of the live shows that KP played to 20 people or 200 or 2000 people just reduced people to tears and it sounds like that's mad that that's something you take away as a positive but whenever music affects people like that you know it's important you know it's real emotional connection totally and and sometimes it's not how you get it how your following comes about that's it like so as I say, the Kit Philippa project was a great kind of landing base for me on, you know, the introduction into my world of management and it set aside principles of what I want to be as a manager and who I want to be and the type of artists I want to sign and stuff like that. So I sign with my heart. Uh, I don't think genre is the kind of restriction for me. It's like, do I, a couple of questions, do I love the music? Because that's mm-hmm. always what keeps uh, you going. You have to. Because, you yeah. know, human relationships get fraught in management because there's so much stress, there's so much yeah. expectation. So the thing that guides there's you back normally... want, 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 want There it? can be, uh, like, yeah. but what guides you back is the music and then yeah. the music is as a result of the people that you're working with. And you, all, you just manage to make the psychology of it all work. Yeah. But if I love the music, great. But there's lots of music that I've loved over the years that I haven't worked with. Because the second question is really important is, do I think I can bring value to that? To that, Or work with individuals. And that as well, Paddy, mm-hmm. but it's more a case of like, do I have the contact set that can help that artist kind of move forward? Do I have the skill sets, you know, all of that? And that's a very introverted kind of viewpoint I have to take to just be really honest and do the best by that artist. So I've said no to managing projects that I still love and buy tickets to and own the record collection, but I just didn't feel like I was the right fit for the management get, head, get, you know? Get you, get you. So, so you're, say, still, you're still giving a piece of your, your time, but it's not I, all like, of your time. It's, it? Yeah, like, it, you know, the management thing at the moment is like, I, I'll work with artists that I believe I am the right fit for. Yeah. And it's okay if the person thinks I'm a good fit and I don't think I'm a good fit. Neither of us are wrong, but it's just how we all feel, you know. So at the moment, the roster is carefully curated on things that I would literally die for. Uh Kit Philippa, New Pagans, The Darkling Air, and very recently, Gemma Bradley. There you go. Gemma, yep, from this building here. And I've got a big wide smile because I'm delighted to work where I adore her and... I just believe in her and um, I'm really keen now to get stuck in over the next well, couple ob- of years. Ob- obviously, obviously, you're the right person because what you described there was the different artists and some of them have dual roles, mm-hmm. as I say. Uh, uh, meaning By that, what I mean is that you see them as the artist, but they could be something else to do alongside it, which mm-hmm. is the likes of Gemma. And uh, that's brilliant uh, that I did hear that and I'm really glad because that means that uh, it's all local again. It is. And, uh, which is really positive. Yeah. And uh, so there was a thing um, with with all your acts, uh, it's brilliant. But what about just before I move away from the management company, uh, Charlene, is there... Is it okay for other people to maybe send you some music or, or not? Or is that yeah, something, yeah. Uh, or where would you say to them? To, is there an uploader in OER? Is there somewhere they could send them to you? Yeah. That, uh, is that okay to say? Of course, yeah, uh, yeah. Because there could be somebody listening here um, uh, 
doesn't actually know that mm-hmm. you're a manager and yep. they could be out there and going, you know what, I, that sounds really good. You know I make what? myself very easy to find uh, online. So if anybody goes to www.zeromyth.co.uk, there's like a contact us sheet on there and I read everything that comes through on that, you know. Um, I'm really keen to hear new music because yeah. that's the lifeblood of what I do. And I, I'm a music fan first. So if it gets me really excited, you'll hear from me, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really proud of, like, as I say, the artists. And you're not wearing a big scarf and all, which is cool too. No, <laughs> just, just, we keep it real. We just keep just, it real. Just keep it's, it real. It's country style. Right. And, uh, so for people out there, uh, just check online. Uh, you'll find, uh, and your music management company is called? Zero Myth. Zero Myth. So there's no myths, only legends. Mm. Do you see what they've done there? That's it, Paddy. And that's what you that's are. That's the tagline. Uh, it's hashtag, no myths, <laughs> only legends. And <laughs> so uh, recently, uh, um, friend, there was a poll done mm-hmm. uh, on Irish radio. And it was all about, uh, I suppose, uh, how many uh, um, artists are being played, uh, I suppose, from Ireland is a big thing. But it was all about female artists and uh, the reasons for yep. some of them uh, uh, aren't getting played. And I know you are aware of this report. Yeah. Have you any sort of thinking on that for someone like yourself has had so much experience in the industry and looking at it as a female working in the industry, looking in, uh, going back to when you were 18, you were a bunch of big hairy men, cacker and them, and you stuck it out, you came through it, you went into to, to Pete and Schism, and then you went on to Small Town, and now you are an OEA and an independent music manager with uh, your own company. What's your thoughts on that report that came out about why things? Yeah. Uh, what's you, what, do, what do you think? Like? Yeah, the report, so um, Why Not Her is really valuable because it's data, not opinion right and whenever you look at the data you can only derive one thing that it's an uneven playing field so you look at some radio stations on that report and they've only playlisted 100% males over the last five to ten years or whatever like that's shocking Mm. of course it's shocking for any reasonable person that's shocking and imagine running a a a sort of something that goes out in the airways like that there and not actually maybe looking at that now as as a devil's advocate is that uh, like because i don't think it is because um you mentioned earlier on there about there's nothing better than getting the cd Mm. you know we talked about coming in from the artist and all this here and the excitement of it um I would be able to think in a good tune is a good tune, put it on, but obviously that's not happening. Yeah, so that's it. There's there, You can only presume that there is internal bias at play, that certain artists are being escalated. And I think the best example of that is clearly laid out whenever you look at that. One of the reports um, by Why Not Her and, you know, props to Linda and her team for the work they've done there because it's a big data project to bring this into such a bite-sized focus where everyone can just look at it quickly and go, yeah. oh, so God, there's a problem. Uh, just for people out there, that's Linda Coogan-Byrne. Yep. And that report's out there, yeah. It's out there. It's Why Not Her. If you just Google that, you'll find the report online. It's widely accessible now. It's had over a million hits. And Linda's continuing in her work. There's more reports to come, put it that yeah. way. But listen, the, a lot of us have had the suspicion that this issue's been here for a long time. But what Linda's done is actually demonstrated through yeah. data that yeah. it actually does exist and nobody's imagining it. So uh, yeah. I think when you look at what the most, Linda's... The most uh, um, exact way she's done it and that... And right, it's just that, yeah. you, the, the best way to present any argument is through data. Mm-hmm. But data can be so all-encompassing that uh, you don't know what to be focusing yeah. on. Whereas you can get a snapshot through this report and go, oh, that's quite stark. Yeah. One of the best examples on there is Imelda May and Dermot Kennedy, both deeply, deeply 
talented individuals, yeah. right? Yeah. But very, that's a really good example of where yeah. the playing fields are not equal. So if you look at the radio rotation that Dermot Kennedy was getting on the lead up to his release versus what Imelda was getting Which on the lead up to her release. Which was released two years earlier, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. was. Yeah. It's shocking. And whenever you start to then pair it back and go, oh, well, they're signed to the same record label, Patty. Uh -huh. So there cannot be that, that, oh, <laughs> Melda's got like this baby record label and that's yeah. why she's on. Same uh, record label. So what's the difference, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so it's it can be very, very challenging whenever you're obviously a female working in the yeah. industry. And we're not saying it's the artist's fault here, right? It's that's, not. No, oh, it's not. It's just, it, it's, it's obviously not. This is internal, more about the radio stations themselves. Yeah, yeah. There's internal bias at play. That yeah. That's the only thing that I think you could reasonably conclude because there's the music the value of the music coming through from both genders is equal in my view. Yeah. So why are ma male artists being playlisted so, so, uh, uh, over if, female artists? If we were, if we were sitting now and, and you're, you're obviously speaking to the peop good people out there and other young female mm. artists and people want to be identified a certain way. What do you think radio stations need to do? Like say, if I just say I'm Paddy FM, for instance, so you're yeah, just, yeah. you're coming to see me now. Tell me what I need to do. Yeah. Like, what, what need I, do I do? You know I think, what I mean? Yeah. The first thing is just accept that, that's that's the data. You, yeah. have, you have to accept almost the past before you can move forward, isn't that? We so, come from so, Northern uh, Ireland and yeah. we're still grappling with that, you know? Uh, yeah, but yeah I, I sort of st putting your foot back and just then putting go, it forward. And that's then, it. Yeah, and uh, so it's... Uh, and then, like I was talking to Ro and uh, the woman in Harmony yes. as well. And uh, so that, you mentioned Imelda May was mm -hmm. there and, uh, the, and she was saying that uh, that's all continuing. Yeah. You know, and that's... Uh, you know, they're still talking in their WhatsApp. They're still, uh, like, uh, I suggest that, you know, uh, they should put on a, a festival, you know totally. what I mean? And then uh, maybe small to start. But if you've got them names, do it. Get the message out there. And I think if the message is out there, going back to what we talked earlier on um, about Jeff, yeah. the PR machine, all of a sudden it starts to roll totally. and they can't hide it. Uh, but in the likes of, uh, do you think that's happening uh not just in radio, is it happening in venues? Is it happening in festivals? Is it happening in, you know, VIP things? Or is it happening all over? You yeah, think there's definitely... It, the, the Put it this way, I think the the, the lid has been lifted on yeah. the lack of female representation now. Yeah. And it, that's ongoing work. And actually, I have to say, I'm seeing really significant progress in real time. But I work with the OES Centre on running the Women's Work Festival, Patty, yeah. And that's about five years in now. And that started five years ago because we were sick of seeing these headlines where it was festivals and 90% of the scheduling was males. And we we're like, uh, what's that about? Because, that was you and Char Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte uh, started it uh, and, and, and handed the baton to, to me. Do you want to tell a wee bit about that to people just so, because they'll not know, I know and yeah. they might not know. Women's Work's an annual festival that promotes women and the women on the stage and off the stage. So really, really important for us to kind of show that women do exist in those roles because typically they haven't. And it's really important to show that to, to you know, motivate uh, younger women coming through to feel like that it's possible for me to do that. Yeah. If I want to be the sound engineer, I can because mm. I went to Women's Work Festival and all the sound engineers were women. Yeah. I, if I want to be a performer on stage, I can be a performer because I went to Women's Work Festival and sure, look at how many performers were there. You kind of need to be there for people to see themselves in you before yeah. they can feel motivated. So you, you're, you're also saying there, we should also say to people out there that this, uh, because of the way the festival is described, doesn't mean that 
I, me or as a male or anybody can attend it. That's it's it's not about that. It's, it's not about, it's about that, Paddy. It's about this looking down. That's it. This looking up as yeah. everybody. This was our answer to the fact that a lot of festivals were overlooking women. We decided, well, we're not going to overlook women. Our audiences for women's work are mixed, yeah. male and females, yeah. and everything in between. You know, it's like everyone's welcome. But the focus here is well. We're saying there isn't a shortage of women because look, we have a full festival full of women. Yeah. So what's what's the issue? Why it, are you not just booking pro- them? Programming and again, programming. It's and a be- but I think again the issue with it was unchecked for years, unchecked for years, but it's being checked now mm-hmm. and it is doing better because it's being checked. And hopefully in time you don't have to check it. You know yeah. that's the aim here that yeah. you don't have to look at a festival and go why is X Y Z not there and there's representation for all genders and none. That, you know, people feel that it shouldn't be a barrier because of your gender mm. uh, on any level. Yeah. That's the that's the, the aim in all of this. But as I say, the... Um, but you're saying it's to- totally inclusive. It's not a, it's not a lift to anybody. People can come in and totally. everybody. Yeah. And that's I, it. And I suppose the message within that is that we're changing society. Mm. We're a, a more adaptable country than we were maybe totally. years ago, you know. Yeah. and uh, But how then... That report obviously was done uh, for uh, Irish radio stations. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think then in the UK as it's going on? Like for you as a manager, and uh, you know, you mentioned KP there for you now. Yeah. It, 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 has that sort of has the world of big bookers been chatted to? Is what I mean because obviously when Beyonce pulls into town. Mm. The damage is done. Everybody goes and sells out. And uh, you mentioned Pink, mm-hmm. powerful really. Yeah. So, do you think um, the individuals that broke through? Uh, that, that were uh, as successful as uh, as artists, female artists, whatever way they wanted to be identified. Uh, for the sounds of it, it's been far harder for them yeah. to get there. Because I was reading a bit of Melda Maya's story somewhere, talking like that mm-hmm. about, you know, about, she didn't mention any names, but there was a certain pe- person, you know, people could start at the same time as you, and you're thinking, God, they're away, you know. Totally. I'm, I'm, I had the same crowd. I was selling out, though, yeah, at mm-hmm. the same time, you know. Uh, so how does the world of... Um, me being a booker or you being a booker or a festival organiser or um, running a club night or um, everything. We're talking all music here too. Yeah. We're not, that's why I brought the, the dance music, everything, because you deal with it all. How do you think it, uh, that it needs to be approached uh, now? Uh, or do you think that uh, the dragon has flared its flame mm. and it's burning some feckers out there <laughs> big time and other ones... Because uh, like, I, I chatted to Ro about it. Sometimes uh, festivals are programmed a certain way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you, to- un- you understand that anyway. Yeah. And uh, so, w- what do you think about the UK and then uh, maybe Europe? You know more about that than me. But well, what's- like the the reporting that Linda's doing actually is all across. So she's she's publishing reports faster than I can. You know, all, ima- like the right. work is ex- extraordinary, but. What we're starting to do now is just expose a few things, right? So that everybody has the opportunity to see what's going on. And then you hope from that things get better because people are realising, oh, I didn't know that this was as bad as it was. That's the whole point. You have to first show people the problem and then allow it to get better through the right actions afterwards. And I'm quite motivated by a lot of what's going on here because mm. it's ultimately rooted in equality, yeah. um, which benefits everyone right yeah, equality definitely. benefits everyone yeah. um so it's just the women that have broken through so far have done it with um great gusto because they will not have had it they will have had a different experience than her male counterparts right yeah. that's a fact okay yeah. um god forbid you're a woman in the music industry who um has a pregnant body 
and has children because immediately the perception can be or historically has been, well, there's your career gone. Yeah, and actually as a female, terrible. that's terrible. Well, as a new pagans are a really good example to talk yeah. about on that because I adored Lindsay, who is the, the lead woman in um, New Pagans. Yeah. I adored her um, uh, delivery of that, right? I remember we played hard working class heroes and this was when her second child, I think, was born. And Lindsay played that gig seven months pregnant, Patty, and she wore a Sonic Youth t-shirt that was tight. And if she had had a conversation with her mum earlier that day, her mum was like, are you going to wear that t-shirt? Yeah, I'm wearing this t-shirt, right? <laughs> and it, whenever she was on stage in the Workman's Club in Dublin and she did her like punk rock moves or yeah. whatever, the t-shirt came up and this pregnant belly fell out. And I watched the room <laughs> in absolute delight. And the one of the guys who was a curator for Spotify that night was in that room and he fell hard for New Pagans that night. He thought this was the most punk rock thing he had ever seen and he put them on playlists and did all this mad stuff for that? them. But isn't that amazing ah. that that was the response? Because a lot of people didn't know what they were saying because there isn't many uh, accounts of that, put it that way. Whenever yeah. women get pregnant and actually... I read Sinead O'Connor's book recently and she had her first child just before she put out her first album. That's and right. I just thought about how how punk rock that was uh, to even do that yeah. because you're not allowed to do that, right? Uh, As a woman, yeah. you're not allowed to do basically Probably all Probably one of the strongest female spokesperson that has been for the last, you know, no yeah, matter... The, not, the original, the original yeah, just yeah. punk... Uh, Exactly. I love her. I love <laughs> her. And she's yeah. been right on the money yeah. uh, when people were telling her she was mad, yeah. right on the money. So yeah. as I say, we need to see more of that so that women feel that they can live the full female experience without being yeah. counted out for it. And yeah. we're not there yet, Patty. Yeah. Like we're not there well, yet. And as I was pregnant in 2019 and had my kids whenever in 2020, and I had to fight against a lot of perceptions that like, so is that is that you done now? Is oh, that you done yeah. with the music oh, thing? Yeah. And like, they, they thought slippers now and, and, and nappies and you just is disappear. That it? You uh, know, because music clearly yeah. matters so little to me that I'm just yeah. going to exit it. Yeah, because you're just going to throw all them multiple years of experience down the bin. I don't think so. You know, you know, and, and, and if, you know, it's just the perceptions that follow you, even if you don't feel that way, you have to, you know, explain to people. And, and that's extra because... Again, I have lots of friends who now have children and the boys who become fathers don't have that. Yeah. They're back on the road within two or three weeks and nobody yeah. bats an eyelid. Whereas, Well, that's interesting there what you're saying. Then. You know, whereas yeah. a woman has a lot more to contend with, even if she's happy to be back on the road. Yeah. Like, you Once know, you've got your mother and the child there and they say the child needs his mother or, or, and all the things that yeah. go with I understand that. And the love and the separation and all that goes with it Completely. Uh, can be, I'm sure, quite tough. Can be very tough. individuals, you know, and even as males, some individuals having to tour when, you know, a child comes along, all of a sudden it changes the dynamics and yeah. they want to know where they're going, when they'll be back and all of a sudden they miss the loved ones. Of course. And that's how it is. Well, the likes of going back there to radio stations, is there any sort of, because, um, you know, I would imagine it'd be uh, hard to get 50-50, isn't it? Uh, mm. And the programming that 50-50. Yeah. Well, what, what, what do you think is the best way to start on that? Or what yeah. percentage do we need to be looking at? Or is it something that needs to be built into policy? Or Because there is some countries good at it. Canada's good at it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think um, 
obviously I thought the South was good, at, mm. but maybe it's at yeah. Like I'm personally know? not in favour of quotas, right? Because I think that can be used as an instrument against people who are yeah. there through merit, being like, "Oh, you're just on there because it has to be 50-50 uh, Yeah. So I'm not a fan it, of that. You don't like the shout. That's not about the shouting game. It's no, about equality. It's about equality, uh, and it's about quality. Like uh, so, and as I say, I firmly believe that there are as many talented female artists as are male artists, yeah. right? That's, that's my belief. Yeah. So I just think that radio stations need to reflect on the data that's there, accept that there has been failings and set about um, improving that. Now, I'm not saying it needs to go from radio stations. They'll not immediately hit 50-50 targets, no. but there needs to be a long-term commitment to being representative and inclusive. What we want to say is a good tune's a good tune. That's it, Paddy. And, and play it, you know, and don't, don't look at, Anything else but putting it on. I've listened to many tunes and demos over the years, you know, and sometimes something just happens mm -hmm. and it just, and there could be 10 bands the same and you've went for that and because yeah. there's something there. Yeah, right, totally. You know? and, uh, so what we're saying out there, I suppose, is that uh, it's starting to change from your world. I believe so, yeah. And uh, so what is your plans then now that we're starting to open up again? Because, mm. you know, I, was, I should say like, uh, you know, Listening to your story, uh, it's been remarkable so far. You've loads of years ahead of yourself and it's great you're staying within the industry, yeah. whatever way that shapes and forms, because obviously now um, sales isn't where it is. It's ticket yeah. revenue. It's all the, the um, syncing your music and, mm -hmm. and uh, all the things like that. So your toolbox is, uh, if, if you were in a construction trade, right? The, uh, you'd walk onto the site and they go, Jesus, boss, that girl there, she's some amount of tools, right? So they'd say you have a load of tools, right? <laughs> and there's fucking drills and the screwdrivers and nuts and bolts and everything. And uh, I'm leaning down like this and I left the wee bolt out. So today I'm going to concentrate on the bolt and <laughs> concentrate on the tool. So what about yourself? How do you, like, because you're obviously a full-time mammy. Mm -hmm. and, um, you're married. Uh, uh, you have... Uh, children you're working in oh yeah you're managing your own company um you are a true entrepreneur mm. and uh, how do you keep all the wee bits clocking over as you say i know it's like a tapestry just for people to show that you can do it yeah if you know what i mean totally patty it's this doesn't wouldn't suit everyone like that but again the music industry can be a bit like that yeah. i find something that i feel works for me because yeah. it gives me enough scope to be effective like i my the why I do this is because I think I have skills that are benefits to musicians, right? Yeah. I think that I can uh, help people navigate the industry in a way that's sustainable for them so that they don't get ripped off or they don't sign into bad deals or whatever. I feel very motivated by that. So like, how do I make it work? Well, I kind of just have to, like yeah. I, I just have to now at this stage, I'm too, I feel like I'm too long in the tooth to want to go the other way yeah. or just get out entirely. So it's just like, I'm in it now, I'm staying in it. And if I can do anything, it's to bring other people in it too. And an interesting story I'll leave you with is, so I am currently mentoring another manager to bring them into the fore so That's that they can cool. sign lots of other artists. And that manager is female and she's from D-Town. Holy smoke, good day, And she's... She's got an incredible future ahead of her because she's got all of the sensibilities that it takes to be manager to be a manager. Brilliant. All she needs now is a bit of experience, which is what I'm going to try and help her with well, over you know the next what? few You're years. A star, and uh, uh, and uh, she, I think uh, her second name might be the same name as the lady <laughs> down in the the room there. I think, but yep. uh, yeah, and uh, well, that actual lady has been plugged in the podcast before. What I would say to people is. 
go back to Jimmy Bradley's podcast and you might hear her name. So yes. Maybe it was a good friend. That's uh, it. So that's brilliant. And to, to show people out there that what you're actually doing now is uh, that young individual that you're uh, helping along now has probably been Google-eyed looking up at you the same way you were the first time you popped into the Bama fighting the Yeah. So brilliant. I'm going to finish it off with Charlene Higgity. Star Lady, uh, it's been great having you on. I went through all my notes according to my uh, ears. Have I? My ears are not even working. So, Charlene, thank you very much. And maybe in a few years' time, we'll get you back if I'm still breathing at that time. And we'll get you in again for a, a wee podcast. Give yourself a round of applause. Yeah. I'll send you a massive hug from here. Thank, thank you, you very much.